It's been a few months since I first purchased triple magnesium powder from Pillar Performance. I was always getting shitty night's sleeps because I'd go to bed at like 10, 10.30 at night and then have to be up at 5am to do my training session for the morning and then I'd work all day and and yeah, I'd always just be feeling so crappy for that first session, particularly when I first woke up and, and I'd always crash in the afternoon at work as well. And, and I'd been seeing pillar performance being talked about on social media by like some other triathletes that I followed and, and a few runners and I thought, stuff it, I'm just going to try it and, and see if it helps. And, and it seriously helped my sleep so much that I actually couldn't believe it. Um, so I, I had this podcast and and I reached out to Pillar Performance and the team there and, and asked if they'd like to come and support the show so that like I could personally just get a discount code for their triple magnesium powder because I knew it was something that I was going to be taking 30 minutes before bed every single night. And I'm like, well, and if everyone listening can get a discount code as well, then it's great. It's a win-win. And, and as you all know, if you've been listening to the show for, for a while now, that they did jump on board and, and they gave us a weekly discount code that, that a lot of us have been using and that I personally use every second or third week at this point because I've also now started taking their vitamin C plus zinc immune support um, because I was getting like sick quite a bit and, and their elite calcium every single day as well because I've had a few bone stress injuries um, in the past. And they just have so many products you can go and check out like based on where you personally um, think your life might be able to do with like a bit of an increase in quality. Um, that's what I've done at least and it's, it seems to be working pretty well for me at the moment. Um, and I guess if you're like me and and had been thinking the same thing um, about Pillar Performance, like you'd heard it talked talked about on here on the show or, or somewhere else on Instagram or something and, and you hadn't tried it yet, then then I guess today is, is your lucky day because today's the day that you should do that. It's Pillar Performance's Black Friday sale. Like I know it's a Monday when this episode comes out, but it starts today on, on Monday and goes all week through till, through till Friday. Um, it's a pretty crazy deal, actually. It's way better than the, the usual weekly discount code we get. It's that all orders over $60 receive a free triple magnesium powder, um, which is valued at $40 on its own. So if you go to their online shop at pillarperformance.shop and add items into your cart. Once um, once it hits $60 worth of value in that cart, then the triple magnesium powder will just automatically be added to your cart and, and it'll be there when you go to checkout. Um, oh, and I, I almost forgot that all orders over $80 will also receive free shipping. So like seriously, um, a promise I made to myself was that I'd never support a product on this show that I didn't truly believe in and I truly believe in Pillar Performance. They're a part of my daily life. Um, I reached out to them for help because I was a customer and and I thought why not try and spread that message because it's helped me so much. Uh, so yeah, if you've wanted to try it for yourself, I don't think you'll regret it. Jump on today for their for the Pillar Performance Black Friday sale. Um, all orders over $60 receive a free triple magnesium powder at checkout. Welcome back to part two of my chat with Olav Alexander Boo, the coach of Christian Blumenfeld and Gustav Eden, the two best triathletes on planet Earth. My name, just like it is every week, is Jack Kelly. And if you haven't listened to last week's part one of this chat with Olav, then I strongly advise you do that before diving into this, this week's part two. Um, if you did uh, already listen to part one last week, then I'm so excited for you to hear part two today because it's easily my favorite half of the conversation. So strap in and enjoy. 
And then you also mentioned the that there are differences within the programs of, of Christian Blumenfeld and Gustav Eden. They don't just train the same. No. Um, so I'm sort of curious about what those differences are and and more importantly, why those differences are. Is it is it to do with physiology? Is it um, that, that one athlete, um, you know, might be a little better at this while another athlete is a little better at this and so – we're, we're obviously trying to meet the demand of the race and for one athlete that might be because of this physiological parameter and for, for another athlete it might be another. Um, so I guess I don't want to know generally speaking, I want to know more specifically with Gustav and Christian, what are the differences in their training and why? So on the one side we can decide to black box this problem and by that, I mean that uh, there will always be differences between athletes. Some athletes like to do better these kind of intervals. Other ones to do this kind of intervals when they do high intensity. Uh, that can come down to either because it feels physiologically easier to, to do it. Uh, but that can also be the psychological reason just because it feels easier. doesn't mean necessarily, of course, that's what you, what you need. But the reason why I say we can black box this problem is that we don't know on the one side we don't need to know whether it's because of genetics physiology uh, psychology other things because we can say that, okay this is what we want to try to do this is this is what we want to work if, if you have no idea what you're going to train for of course then you have a problem uh, but obviously you, or hope, hopefully you do know and that's you say that, okay that's an Ironman or, or it's an Olympic distance triathlon or it's a, a cycling event or it's uh, running or swimming or kayaking it doesn't matter but you have you know have an idea of what you want to target short duration long duration events whatever and then when you want, want to do this, you have an idea, okay, so the athlete, either you have some historical data on the, on the, on the athlete from the training that they've done in the past, or you probably want to do some structured testing. And that can be done just with a stopwatch and being on a track for a runner, for example. So the athlete starts to run around on the track, and then you do some sh like short duration test, medium and, and, and long duration. And maybe you find out, okay, this is an athlete, he says, I'm going to be good at a marathon. But you see that he has a very big drop off in the short duration speed versus the long duration speed. So, and the only you can then whether then that's because of psychology, physiology uh, that makes that per, that makes him like really good at the short duration, while he really wants to be good at the long duration doesn't really matter that much because you see that, okay we have we need to try to redistribute the training a little bit so that we are able to bring up your long duration or marathon speed more because that again is your, what you want to really be good at and that might be that you need to know how to distribute take down a little bit of the training that you do on the shorter duration because he's already there well developed or overdeveloped even uh, to the extent that you don't need to prioritize that kind of training and now when you're writing these kind of intervals you you have an idea okay so we want to bring in specificity so this guy has to learn to run at a certain speed for 42 kilometers when you now bring this together of course you already start to get see an idea if he is able to run with a sustainable speed or higher sustainable speed over longer sessions for example and then you already have an idea there whether this training is working or not if you see that basic there there's stagnation there then then you should go back and you have to look at how do you put how do you put this these intervals together and also how do you put the structure or the, all the workouts around those key workouts together and if you now for example see you're thinking oh, well I, I do suspect here 
because the thing is, we don't have the answer up front. We, the only way to really find out is, is that we need to experiment in a, in a systematic way. And of course, the more instruments you bring, bring on board, the faster you can learn and the faster you can adjust. It's like I said uh, earlier in the conversation that if you have a 16-week plan and the only pl- only time you are actually getting your, your, your feedback on whether the athlete responds or not is in the competition, then you you potentially have spent 16 weeks in a very poor way. While you, if you put in more instruments in between and you're making some measurements to see how the athletes adapt, then you also can be more proactive and adjust the program depending on how the athlete is responding. And again, the instruments can just be like a GPS because you see that on a standard session, a long standard session, for example, you see that the athlete starts to come up. If it doesn't do that, but you have an idea that maybe there's too much volume in this program for this athlete compared to what he's able to to absorb. So I'm going to first, because I think really the intervals here that I'm having here to to make this athlete run faster on a marathon, that that is good. It's sound, it's good, it's specific. And you start to bring down a little bit of volume around for a couple of weeks, one, two weeks. If you now see that the athlete starts to perform better, then you know, okay, that's the individualization. That's the first step to individualization you're doing. So now, of course, you keep it there. Don't do a lot of change because if you do a lot of changes, you don't know what works. Then was it this change? Was it this change? So you have to be do it systematically and control changing one parameter at the time. So now when you bring down the volume, if you see the athlete starts to come up, the, the speed of marathon now comes up. Well, that's the most important part because... He said, that my goal, I want to be faster in a marathon. And that is the other thing could be that maybe you are also prescribing short, short uh, or, or higher intensity intervals. For example, you're putting in more some threshold session, the to max session or whatever you, you decide to call them. But as the athlete now trains, you have, you have to remember that all those sessions also put, if you have an extensive view to max session or an extensive, extensive threshold session, uh, or we could call it like if you have like high intensity intervals, which are targeting your five minute all out speed, for example, if we, if we forget about physiology now and you just work from a physics perspective with speed meters per second and, 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 and duration or, or, or distance, then you can also say, well, uh, we are having two sessions a week where we are targeting his five minute or, or his five minute all out speed, or you could call let's call that his three uh, k speed or three uh, k speed, for example. And you are having quite a lot of focus on that as well. Then we have to remember if those sessions start to become if you if you have a small volume of that during a week, that will probably put a very small fatigue into the body. But if you have like really tough, big sessions with a lot of intervals and sets where you're working on his 3K speed, then of course, that's going to put a fatigue into the body. And if that fatigue now comes bridges all the way into his key session that are supposedly going to build his marathon speed, then that's of course not going to make any development on his fire on, on on his on his on his marathon speed. So it means that a, then the first step would be to bring down maybe the volume. If you again, if you think that you have a really good program, the adjustments you're looking to make are in the beginning small control adjustments, and this is a process. And then you're bringing down those those the, uh, the the amount of intervals or sets that you're doing to have or build his his five or his three k speed because in again it's not three k he's going to be good at that's not that was not the goal of the athlete so why would you make him excel at three k speed then if that starts to compromise his marathon speed i think that approaching this from a physics perspective forgetting about vo2 max forget about threshold and all this kind of thing and rather look at where do you distribute the kilometers 
or time and speed and then looking to balance this that's where the, that's the first point where, you, where the individualization comes in. And the second point coming in is that when you're doing this marathon, marathon key sessions, or let's say you don't know the marathon speed, the problem is we are not able to make any because we see that his marathon speed is extremely close to his 3K speed. There are almost no drop-offs there between them. And then maybe you need to bring up a little bit more uh, focus a little bit more on the shorter duration and see how you can bridge in that without losing any marathon speed. Uh, but that can also be that, for example, you see that one athlete, he responds very well to uh, if you do three times, three times 1K, then having a set break, and then you do three times 1K, and then you set break, for example, something like this, and maybe you do even more. One athlete might respond very well to that, whether that's because of genetics, physiology, or psychology. You really don't need to know. You just want to look, is the response? Do we respond to this? What's the feedback from the athlete? Another athlete, to bring up this 3k speed for example he he might want to run uh 400 meter repeats for example with very short break in between and that's where you see oh now he really starts to respond and he's able to to during this session this workout that we're having here, the total volume that we are able now to uh keep at uh, uh his 3k speed increases and he also says i can do more i really feel powerful of course at some point you need to bring this down to 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 longer intervals in these kind of things but that's probably easier but this is basically the individualization where you're looking at this is the plan this is what the input is this is how we ex execute and this is the results and now you're you're trying continuously to learn from this but of course you also need to allow for some time to adaptation if you're changing every workout because it didn't go exactly as you planned then you might never find the answer either because the body doesn't adapt that fast either and it takes maybe a little bit time of learning their experience the good thing of course when you make a change is that very often an athlete responds very quickly to this because a change the first actually the first response is experience you do something the first time very often the next time you do it, you will already excel a little bit because you just have the experience from executing the, executing that workout the first time. And that's, of course, is a positive experience. But at some point, some point, they might start to stagnate very quickly. But again, this is how you have to work. And then back to Christian and Gustav, that means that, of course, they are different physiologically and psychologically. And of course, I can go into the details of, of 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 what they prefer, how they respond physiological and all these kind of things, but I really don't need to know that uh, in 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 the, in the simplest sense because I can also just look at okay, this was what was prescribed and this is what they did or or, or how it was ex executed, uh, and then I I look for what what is happening over a period where I do expect to see a change, for example. So if I expect that after a couple of weeks time here we should start to see some small changes, then uh, if I don't see that, then of course I have to question, is it just because it needs a little bit more time to get accustomed to this based on the feedback that I also get from the athlete? Um, if the athlete says, no, I hate this kind of intervals, this is really, of course, then then you have to think, how can we make these changes to this where it's still comply with what the change you want to do, but in a way that the athlete find it more en enjoyable to do it. Of course, Sometimes you just need discipline. So a lot of time you also need discipline, but of course motivation is also incredibly important because if you if you really look forward to do a workout and, and you really feel 
that is fun to do the work on is also easier to execute and exceed uh, the expectations because we know that psychology is, of, of course, very important also to to the execution of, 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 of training workouts and these kind of things. But I don't want, when I, of course, the problem when, when you know all this kind of thing, you can always complicate it and you can always go down to, to smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller details. But I think the most, you can take away a lot of these tools from me and I would be able to just work with a stopwatch and on the course and having this process approach to it and you would be able to do wonders in terms of individualization to an athlete within, within given frames uh, just with a stopwatch and uh, knowing the distance uh, that they are running uh, just just that all the other tools allows for a greater understanding of of adaptation what is a real adaptation adapting and so on but it's easy also then to get lost in all that kind of data if, if, if you don't have a good strategy for how to how to implement it uh, and, and and use it Leading into the Ironman World Championships, I love. Did you know that that Gustav was going to be able to beat Christian? Were you looking at the numbers and the data and the sessions, and were you saying, okay, very clearly, in my opinion, Gustav is going to beat Christian, or was there a period where you thought, okay, I think Christian is going to beat Gustav, and then did it change at any point, or going into the race, did you did you think Christian was going to win? Um, and and what were your what were your reasons for thinking these things? Um, actually, in April uh, or leading into Saint George, because of course uh, Christian and Gustav are different. They, they, Gustav is typically, uh, he comes from a cycling background. He's very, he, he is very playful on the, on the bike. He likes to even, or he did quite, did, did a lot of, I'll say, uh, tricks with his bike before, uh, like almost this Peter Sagan style, where he just played around and, 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 ha- and he has extremely good control over the bike. And and St. George, of course, is a technical course, you know, super technical, but it's a technical course and where there are time to be gained uh, by riding, uh, being being good at riding technical. That's one, because of changing a lot of changes and variation in the, in the terrain to and being able to adapt to those changes in the terrain makes you more efficient and more efficient makes means also that you are able to expend less energy. Uh, further also is that Christian and Gustav have different bikes. Christian has a bike without a down tube. And for climbing, actually, that bike is really good because one, it allows uh, for for uh, how it is set up, it allows Christian to engage more efficiently uh, his muscles and being more effective uh, or work more economically, uh, economically uh, in in uh, in uh, while climbing because again there is no top tube touching so you can change a little bit more in variation you can dance a little bit more on the bike and all this kind of thing but the disadvantage and maybe the biggest disadvantage with with not having the top tube is that you have no top tube to sit on when you're going downhill and in Ironman or in triathlon racing or is still allowed to actually or at least in Ironman racing is still allowed to sit on your top tube when you're racing downhill most courses in an Ironman, this is not a problem because you're not going to have any courses or almost no courses where a top tube is needed or where you're going to sit on the top tube riding downhill but in saint george you had this 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 advantage too if you had a top tube and of course now gustav having this bike being more technically fluent and almost all other things being very equal 
because uh, of of how we, uh, of the individualization and, and and so on. Then I my if I were to if I if somebody said you have to make a bet on one of them, then I would say that well, then Saint George is the course where Gustav have some benefits, and the course in Kona is where Christian has a few benefits because Christian has a has a higher raw power than Gustav, just simply because he's, he's bigger. And of course, the flatter the course becomes, the more important uh, raw power becomes uh, because your CDA won't scale equally fast with muscle mass as uh, your power does. Square cube law, again, physics. But so Kona was the course where I would just say initially that that's, that's maybe favoring then Christian a little bit more. But again, they are so similar that leading into a race, I first of all, I don't want. Uh, this is something that I'm, I'm culture and habits and all this kind of thing is something I spend actually awful a lot of time on. And of course, now we're talking training or physiology or uh, exercise physiology and and and, and um, coaching in general. But actually, culture and, and habits are something I spend a lot of time on, and we very seldom actually talk very much about. But I've been very honest with Christian and Gustav and saying that the day that I think that one of the athletes have always an advantage over the other athlete, that's the day I've come to my limitations for understanding how I can basically individualize the training for an athlete. And then we need to find that athlete, another coach that can do the job better. I need to believe that my athletes are equal. They can be equally good when you just do the individualization smart enough. And you really understand an athlete. And of course, that takes, of course, sometimes, sometimes, but now the benefit is I work with both Christian and Gustav for many years. But it means also that I believe equally much in both of them and their abilities to win. If And I have to genuinely, it's not something I say, it's something I genuinely have to do, believe in. And that comes for every athlete I would bring into my program. I have to genuinely believe that I can individualize uh, the training for that athlete so that they come up to, to, to the exact same level uh, as the other athletes other than it, it wouldn't be fair for the athletes if they, if they if they thought that I had a favorite in 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 my group if Christian thought I was favoring Gustav or Gustav was thinking I was favoring uh, uh, Christian that's already giving one of them a, a psychological advantage and that that's not acceptable either uh, as, as a coach for an athlete I would say I you should always believe uh, and I genuinely believe that the athletes I work with can all be the best in the world so now uh, that means that what, when, why an athlete wins one day over another comes down, should then come down to that day, the race day, who just has the better day versus the other. So actually leading into the race, the, <laughs> the, the, the really nice thing, the, the fantastic experience I had was that I was starting to become more and more insecure about who actually was going to win in Kona. I actually didn't know, even on race day, I, I, I came to the point or the realization that who's going to win today? I have no clue whether that's going to be Christian or Gustav. And I got that question so many times. But actually having that, 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 that feeling uh, of not knowing who actually was going to win of the two, uh, it, it was an amazing feeling. And, and, and uh uh, and that's uh, yeah. What to say? It's 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 a fantastic position to be in as a coach too, when you basically see that you're able to bring two athletes that look so different 
when you look at just from a from a when you look at their physiques, so different, but still, and it comes down very much to, of course, a little bit how the course is, but the day. So the day and the course, basically things that are outside of our control. That is basically what it comes down to, and that's that's the most amazing feeling in the world as a coach, I would say. In my intro, Olav, I said that um, pretty much every professional triathlete is is trying to replicate your training and particularly your scientific or sort of really specific approach to training. But I also said that you guys have a huge focus on creating this 24-7 professional winning culture. And I think people are trying to copy that as well, or at least uh, uh, wisening up to the idea that these guys have a culture and a program that is more professional and more advanced than what we're doing. And they're trying to, to start copying that a little bit and then just then in in your answer you said that you put a huge emphasis and focus on culture and habits and you don't talk about it much but it is something you put a huge focus on what are the the culture and habits of your program that that you try and create and build and i guess on on top of that what is it that you think creates um, a winning culture um, and and did you, do you think that you guys are the first people to really bring this into the sport of long course and professional triathlon in general? Uh, no, uh, that, that I don't. I don't think we are the first to bring that in. I think that there are many uh, many people that, and of course, it's, I think that it's very dangerous to define what is a winning culture or what does it look like because this is again we are different. So there, there comes also again in the individualization part of it because if you look at Christian and Gustav, they are also very different human or personalities too so if i would say that, well look at christian how now he won the olympics he won the world championship in 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 and grand final in the world triathlon championship series he set the world record he he he, he won the world championship in St. Joe. it would be very easy to say that look at christian look how he is basically that that's the way you if you're not like him then you're not gonna win because you have he, he's the one to beat but and i think very often it would be simple to just put it that way. Uh, I think for developing athletes, athletes that are are, are young, young and they are developing uh, and they haven't reached their potential yet, you are still scaling the training and, and all these kind of things. Then of course, being in a group like this is a lot of education because you see how they prioritize. You see how they prioritize food, how they prioritize uh, training, how they prepare their mentality, all these kind of things. And from that, you learn a lot. But still, I think you need to find your way. What? How do you need to balance your life in a way that you are able to extract the most possible uh, during during training? And uh, of course, this is, again, a continuous process. I don't think that you come to a definitive answer that said, now I found out that this is how it should be. Of course, you get closer and closer and gets better and better. But there are always things to improve. Uh, and here, again, this is where Christian and Gustav is very different, how they approach, it, uh, how they approach this. Uh, but what is important for me is, of course, on the same time, same time, I think that as a coach, we, we, we have different tasks in a group. I don't like to call myself a leader uh, because I think that on one side, I think a lot of coaches will say that they are leading and are leading. But I think that it's a little bit, uh, well, if you talk about boss and leader, then of course, I would prefer the word leader every day over the word boss. But and leading is just showing the way. But I think that by showing the way, uh, it's more about dedication. So you show that in the same way that I expect Christian and Gustav to be professional or having this winning culture or, or, or if you really want to win, then you have to put 
your time and effort where your where, where your words are. And the same way goes for me. I can't expect, I can't expect as a coach for my athletes to do this if they see that they would have a coach that doesn't do this. So if, if they had a coach that was more interesting in sitting and, and playing games or socializing all the time and and basically the only thing I did was on training was to, okay, well, I did write a program and then I was there with a stopwatch and yelling high elbow or some small uh, details. That That's not coaching for me. Uh, coaching for me is taking equal responsibility for our head and for loss and victories in the same way that the athletes does that we always have to look at how we improve and i have to look in the same way how can i improve my work with the athletes and by showing that i am dedicated to the work with my athletes that's already part of developing culture that you show that you're relentlessly turning each stone trying to fight, figure out something you're discussing openly being open with your athletes and, and and discussing uncertainties certainties in the beginning this might be frightening because you a lot of people don't ex- they all expect your the coach to, do, to know everything i don't know everything there are many things that i i still don't know that's what makes this fun uh, the day i start that i feel that we're coming to a point where where it's not where there are the amount of stones to be turned either becomes too costly or <laughs> other thing that's the day also I, I I stop being the best coach but being open about this can be a little bit frightening both for yourself and for the athletes in the beginning but when they see that basically the way that you're approaching uncertainties is that you are always looking how to improve oh this must be a competitive advantage because if you're uncertain about this and there 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 is a little information to find about this well then that's an opportunity that's an opportunity to excel you might find out that yes there was something there but not really interesting or something we could use still it's a process because now you're you're done with that work and so first part of building culture is basically having the same mentality and the same way of working that's why i said coaching coaching is not being a leader it's equally much Christian and Gustav that are leaders because there are days when I am tired and they are showing by dedication in the way that they're working that this is this is what we do and we all have the days where we are tired so we are lifting each other up but this is of course something we need to be open about we need to give each other space helping each other but my of course my role my tasks are different than what Christian and Gustav is Christian and Gustav have more similar tasks in in their daily operations than I have I'm not uh, training I'm sitting and spending at, uh, at least the same or <laughs> I'm spending my wake awake hours uh, dedicating myself to to figure out how we can find new competitive advantages and these kind of things based on either feedback from the athletes ideas they have or by discussing with my 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 mentor and and colleagues uh but the other part that i spend quite a lot of time on is of course there will always be rivalry that's you, you can't it's impossible to avoid because in in the end christian and gustav it's not like christian wants gustav to beat him just be kind and it's not the other way around that gustav wants christian to beat him because it's oh i won last time now it's your turn to win with christian of course this is not this is not how it is they always want to win but that means also there are some rivalry and and being mindful about this rivalry but also being open about it discussing about it is very important and often these times where it's most important maybe to be mindful about it is after a competition very often 
but you can always you have a lot of focus on that. Also in important sessions, you can always bring in a little bit of that. But after uh, after the competitions, this is of course where the loss feels the biggest and the victory feels the largest. After, for example, Kona, my biggest fear always, and of course it might be a blown up fear. And luckily, I'm I'm always or uh, I I get the positive fee- the positive feedback afterward. But after Kona, for example, then of course Christian and myself, of course, feels a lot on the loss of not winning. At the same time, I feel for the victory of of Gustav. And now, of course, there, it's easy that there can be a bigger rivalry growing from this because on the one side that Gustav, I'm, I'm the best, and, and of course Christian, oh, I'm going to beat him so bad next time in the competition. I'm going to really show him that, that this was just this day. I'm exaggerating a little bit now, but this is of course situation. And I can the, the days leading after Kona, my my I was so mindful and I spent quite a lot of time being with them, observing uh, and seeing how things develop, whether things started to normalize again. And I, the best confirmation I got, uh, uh, and this made me emotional because, I, again, I care the most of victories and all this. I really don't care. Of course, that's a nice confirmation of the work that we are doing and it's important to it. But Christian and Gustav, as persons, are the ones that, those are the ones and their well-being is what matters the most to me any day more than any victory their life and 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 also thinking about the void after i'm already thinking for about christian goose i'm already thinking 10 15 20 years ahead what where and we even discussed we even talking a little bit about where do we want to be then because they as human are the most important to me um and uh, again, this is about culture. It's talking about caring, caring for each other, and, and culture, uh, and, and, and creating a good environment where you are, where you are, where you really are blooming, or, or uh, being able to extract the most of yourself. You feel comfortable, and you can focus on what 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 is important uh, to you. But the best confirmation I had was I was we came on we boarded the plane and we were leaving for LA from Hawaii or from, from Kona. And then Christian and Gustav sits next to each other on the plane. Uh, I, I, I booked the tickets. <laughs> and, and and then there, Christian is sitting there. He's drinking a bottle of soda. And then Gustav sits and makes photos of him. And then he, they just airdrop it to everybody on the plane. <laughs> Gustav opens up his phone. He, he looks at, okay, it says airdrop. And then he basically sees all the people that has airdrop and he chooses everybody on the plane there. And they're sitting there and and, and, and having fun between the two. two and, all. and of course, it becomes a, a, a fantastic atmosphere on the plane there. People knowing suddenly that the, here, are the two, here's the cha- here, are, here are the champions on the plane. And, and for me, that was uh, the most emotional uh, or it was a, yeah it was really emotional and nice for me to see how well they got back together again and i know of course that they they they, they but they, i'm always most worried after the competition and i and, and I'm always mindful about this but seeing they coming back together and, and and you see see that well things are back to normal they're making jokes again they're having fun together again this is something that is 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 truly important for me because i think that if you have an athlete that are healthy they are in a, in in a, in a good mental state and these kind of things that allows them also to prioritize their focus on really executing well in 
training too. So all these kind of things are interconnected, but it, I think, yeah, caring for your athletes, caring for your athletes and, and by, and that's why when I also get the question, how do you differentiate between professional, the real professional work with Christian Gustav and private life? I don't, I don't differentiate. They are, I, I, I need to care for them. I need to, to really uh, feel for them. I have to, uh, care for them as family uh, because that is how I am able to extract most of myself also into Christian and Gustav and make them the best athletes in the world of course and this uh, there are gonna be we're gonna have tough times again now we are back to Paris uh, focus again with the Olympic racing um, nobody before in history on the Mesa had gone from from Ironman racing and back to successfully on the on Olympic racing. We think we can do this, but that is a challenge that is interesting, and we know it's going to be a journey with with several losses outside of the podium and all the kind of thing. But that's what makes it fun. It is this dedication and will to really want to do something about it. But we need to be in a we need to be in a healthy state, both physically and mentally. To, to do this and that's why culture and, and habits um how we treat each other how we are together how we help each other uh share of our competitive advantage this is extremely important for me because without that you can have the best potential in the world but you will never be able to extract it you're great friends with dan larang who is obviously the famous coach of Jan Fredino, Arne Haug, Lucy Charles Barclay, Frederick Funk, and, and some other triathletes and of a professional uh, cycling team in Bora Hansgra. Um, and like, I guess in my opinion and in my mind, I think the mind of a lot of the listeners out there, um, you two are the, the most successful triathlon coaches in particularly long course triathlon, but triathlon in general right now on the planet. Do you guys being such good friends and or you know such great friends and and also being the two best long course triathlon coaches in the world right now do you do you guys discuss like your philosophies and your ideas and like you know might dan tell you what jan fredino is in, is doing in training and 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 you tell him what you're doing with christian and gustav um yeah the, the, the funny thing is actually the next call i'm having is actually with dan <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but but yeah, so, so no. Uh, um, Can I join in on that call? Can I sit on sit yeah. in on this? One? <laughs> well, that, that that that's 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 a call between uh, two friends, not three friends. <laughs> <laughs> We're so, not friends so, so, at all. So, <laughs> so 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 the thing so the, no I, i'm i'm uh, uh we do share knowledge uh we don't actually we never talked about details uh, very much detail i never actually discussed any details with don about how jan is, is training um uh, just in like a very broad uh, sense uh, that, for example, he told me a little bit about the, the changes that they made when he went from Olympic racing to 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 Ironman racing. But we never talked about how are how do they put together the the, the specific session, the support sessions, and all these kind of things. How is the program? How much do we train? All this kind of thing. We we, we never talked about that. And 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 Don never asked me also in specific about this kind of thing. And that comes down, of course, down to the. I think 
an unspoken respect without that actually thinking that that would be a problem to discuss it. I think that we, we could easily have discussed it. But we do train, we do discuss quite a lot about training, physiology, uh, interventions, uh, things we would like to do, uh, what or where our, where our focus is at the moment. These kind of things. This we can actually do discuss quite uh, quite a lot. So we met at Kona uh, a couple of times uh, before uh, the race. Done were only a few days he left just after the the, the women's race um and then uh and then we also uh, i even discussed what he thought how the men's race would play out uh and i also <laughs> the funny thing is i already we had discussed it uh, with um discussed that uh, internally to christian gustav and me but also and and one the, the funny thing is that we had went to a list of names, and of course, Christian Gustav trained together with Sam with Sam uh, Laidlow uh, as well. Uh, is uh, they are fantastic people. His father uh, brought because they live in France, and then we 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 are training quite a lot in Fontainebleau. So so uh, even when they were going to race uh, in in Europe, I don't exactly remember. It might 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 have been the Collins Cup, potentially. But when they went to this race, Sam's father offered, to, oh, I, I bring the bike so they don't have to pack it down and bring on the plane and these kinds of things. So he, he brought it down to the competition for the boys and then he brought it back up to, to France and we picked it up uh, picked it up there. So so they, they're, they're really uh, fantastic, nice people. But uh, And they discuss training together uh, and share strategies and so on. And the interesting thing is that when we discussed, I remember that when we, we discussed uh, who do we think uh, gonna who, who do we need to have under control during during the racing Kona and who's not, then I remember that they said, "Ah, oh, Sam, no, no, he's 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 gonna go. He's he's strong swimmer, strong biker. He's gonna go in front of the bike and do this kind of thing. But we can let him go ten minutes, ten minutes in front because he's gonna bonk bonk on the on on the marathon like he always does. And then of course another name that came up, Ditlev. Of he he can can't let go too far forward he we need to have somewhat under control so if he puts in a little bit of surge we need to follow up because uh, he can't have too much of a gap on, on the run and the interesting of these these same things i discussed with dan as well and uh, he also mentioned our uh, ditlev he's gonna most likely he's gonna go for for uh to try to make a healthy gap leading out on the run uh to to bridge to bridge it home to a victory the interesting thing was that, of course, we Sam had a fantastic execution. That was just a hands down fantastic execution, of course. And it just says, it just shows how how also the field is changing in 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 terms of racing and these kind of things too. Uh, and of course, Christian Gustav, I, I know that, uh, of course, you feel maybe a little bit angry for yourself when you when you underestimate somebody, but it also shows that the danger of underestimating somebody. But same way also when I discussed with Dan, Dan also, it was Ditlev and a few other names he also brought up. These are the guys that we probably would go for a breakaway, probably smart to keep within, within range in these kind of things. So... Uh, we 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 discuss quite openly strategies and all these kind of things. Of course, Dan could, of course, on one side, just thinking, no, no, I just don't want these guys to win, uh, and 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 he wants to be a little bit tactical in this kind of thing. But uh, yeah, no, we 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 are really, I I really appreciate the friendship with Dan and 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 uh, where we are being open about things and discussing things. And I think that in in the end, I think the biggest danger always as a coach 
uh, especially is because we are always looking for how, how to develop a program. If you get too much stuck in your own mind, then I think you, at some point you're going to stagnate. And the best thing you can do is being open. That's why I said we keep, we keep very few secrets, uh, almost none. Uh, so we are being open about everything we do. And that is because I know that every time I disclose something, talk about something, I push myself out of the comfort zone. And if I don't, then make a try to 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 learn from others, discuss with others, being open, being challenged, challenged on my thoughts, then I am gonna stagnate at some point, and I'm not gonna be the best coach for my athletes anymore. I need to put myself out of the comfort zone to always be hungry, hungry to 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 develop and and try to 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 become smarter, understand more, and how we can put things together. The, the talk of no secrets is interesting because it, it brings me to a, a question I almost forgot to forget to ask you, um, Olav, is that I did a podcast with Sam Long, um, who obviously had that big drama with his penalty at the, the Ironman 70.3 World Championships, and we were talking about that, and, and then we got started started talking about his training and, and maybe where some of his weaknesses lie and, and how he might get better. And it came up in training, uh, I think maybe – I was pushing it a little more than he was, but I was just so fascinated by it because I always ask um, athletes that are competing against Christian and Gustav their opinion on on those two athletes and, and yourself and the Norwegian long course triathlon program in general. And me and Sam got to talking about whether he would ever give up a year or two of his life and, and just go and train with Gustav and Christian and, and be coached by yourself and fully go into the environment. And and he sort of was like, I've just never thought about this, but like, yes, I would do that if the opportunity came up. And I was like, oh, well, why don't you, why don't you message Gustav, Gustav or Christian or Olav? I actually said you specifically. Why don't you message Olav and ask? And I guess my question is, would you guys ever take in someone else, like a professional triathlete who is competition with Christian and Gustav at the end of the day, like a Sam Long or a Sam Laidlow or whoever it is, a Magnus Ditliv, would you ever um, – let them into your system and would you become their head coach or would you never coach someone who wasn't Gustav and Christian? Uh, so I think, again, triathlon, of course, is not the only thing I do. I work uh, with a few other sports athletes too. Um, so leading into previous Olympic, I worked with uh, also with Hedl Borg, the silver medalist in singles color. Uh, on the science side, I work with uh, the bronze medalist in 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 sailing in laser, uh, Herman Tomasko. Working as an advisor, of course, is comes something very different than working as a personal coach for somebody. And again, I, I, I and I I really mean when I say that. I can't work with an athlete unless I really believe that I am capable of extracting everything from that athlete. But also saying that that has also some implications because you are really dedicating your time then to those athletes and, and seeing, because again, what is actually most important, I, I, I'm not sure if I told you this, but uh, actually sports in itself is not really i never watched many sport much sports when i was a kid uh at all i never watched very much the nordic skiing or anything or or, or 
alpine skiing, which uh, which are sports we have been excelling in in Norway for 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 decades, uh, but never even much summer sports. Even I, I didn't look like that. even though my father he could watch some sports, but I always liked to do to be active and be out myself. Uh, what really fascinates me and 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 why working with Christian Gustav is. The, the, the relentless pursuit into peak human performance. Can we prove papers wrong? Can we prove research wrong? Show, finding new relationships, finding new ways to do things even smarter because we learn new things that wasn't available to us before or, or to any before because we get new technology, new tools that allows us to pair real time into the body as you are training and suddenly we see new things that makes us smarter. The developing peak human performance, I think that it has nothing to do with triathlon for me. It could it could equally much have been just being that I worked with somebody in business and he wanted to be the, the best businessman in the whole world. And now we need to find the tools that allows us exactly to find out how do we progress in business here in, in a way that we, we, we I, I'm able to make you the best CEO or, 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 or entrepreneur uh, uh in in the world and developing this peak human performance and uh, this is what really intri intrigues me independently of what what it is and sam actually had been training with christian and gustav uh but i i i i, I would not take on the responsibility or being the coach for that athlete unless i really know that i can dedicate my time to that athlete because again if i expect that athlete to be the best in the world he's he's, he's going to be equal to christian and gustav i can't just expect that from him unless i also invest myself into that so yes bringing other people into to our program we are very open about that we have done that many times before uh but of course it it, it needs to be people that of course christian and gustav again it comes down to chemistry it's not like i'm gonna work with everybody in the world or work on a personal level with everybody in the world just because i'm either too crazy in one or the other direction and and we really don't find the chemistry where we're having fun together good conversations together and so on and it's not because I dislike that person, that the person dislikes me, but it's just because we have different backgrounds, we have different interests in these kind of things and uh, and so on. So I think that for who comes into the group and uh, and not really depends a little bit also on, on the chemistry between them and Christian Gustav. If, if there are athletes that they have a lot of fun with, they have good conversation, they have nice training with, and, and somebody that adds energy to them in the same way they can add energy to to that to, to that person or that those persons then then i think it's a nice match and, and that that we often talk about people that could be fun to have in in, in the, to train with and this kind of thing and then when you start to train a little bit together you find out maybe you are too different or being together takes energy rather than that that it, that it gives energy and 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 that is something that i'm more uh, that is more important for me when it comes to who who comes in and not uh, for the well-being of, of of christian and gustav because those are again my responsibility but uh, we are very open to taking everybody into the into the program we could have trained together with i think jan jan Fredino, for example he's is is a really nice uh, nice athlete uh, I, I've spoken with him a few times. Of course, I don't know him very well. 
but he, I think he's 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 a he's a nice personality, extremely dedicated to what he does. Expect the best from himself. I, again, not as a coach, but just because uh, just because Don is is his coach, and I I really thrive together with with Don. And, and and who we put in our program can equally much be the, the, the closest competitor as people that they never even consider a competitor. But for myself to, to become their coach, then I really need to believe in that I am able to invest the required time into that athlete to bring that athlete to that level. And unfortunately, uh, my schedule is so packed that uh, I, I don't have room uh, to really take in more uh, athletes. Now, the next the next step we are, which which is happening, is more that I'm taking more the over uh, uh, more coaching. Mikal, for example, helping him with with his athletes um, because that's the easy way to 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 scale the things that I do. And 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 at the same time, he helping me with when I I have not possibility to be on the camps because I also have a family. I have two kids and then when when i'm home with my family of course then christian gustav is on 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 their own and of course it's always more convenient to have somebody there that are really uh that are that are smart and having Mikal around then i i trust him uh he's a really good uh, and also the brother of uh, of of gustav too and he knows christian and gustav quite well and uh, the same also with with of course now RLD is coaching uh, some of the girls and then then, then uh, uh, coming back also to to see how I can help him help the girls for example my mentor Ariel Matson is actually coming back now uh, or he I, of course I've been working with him all the time but he is actually now willing to go on camps again and, and be there but of course uh, we we are I think uh, I think. Uh, it's more realistic for me rather to work with coaches and I normally don't work directly with athletes. I, I normally would prefer coach the coaches rather than, than, than coach the athletes because it allows me to spend a little bit more time in different places than when you dedicate something, dedicate dedicate your time entirely to an athlete uh, because I take that, I, I take that kind of responsibility extremely um serious uh and and again i would never take on an athlete unless i do know that i can bring him up to the same level and bringing that athlete up to the same level as christian gustav requires me to invest the same time into that athlete as i do into christian and gustav because i need to learn the athlete i need to do to to find out how to individualize and really extract the most uh from from from, from that athlete so um yes no secrets we are very open people coming i know the the, the boys have trained which were trained with with sam a little bit this summer uh they have been biking together with a lot of other of the athletes in, in and training together with the other vtcs or olympic athletes where we had some several of them even joining our camps leading into tokyo we trained together with uh, the japanese uh, team um and there i even helped them do testing and, and analysis and help them basically to to start to use the basics of the tools more accurately which uh, you now see for example the race in bermuda the japanese tribes are really starting to make an impact uh on on the racing it was fantastic to see two of them all the way up there uh during the swim during the bike even on the run on the first part of it so yeah we we I, having all the athletes in our program 
no 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 problem at all uh, me taking them on as a coach uh, i don't see that as realistic uh, but um, yeah if 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 they feel that there's a good match good chemistry between christian gustav and a lot of athletes uh, of course everybody likes to have uh, uh, be in a nice group with good matching uh, and, and train together and have fun together i think uh, i think that's just healthy I've got two more questions for you, Olav. What a chat this has been. It's been, it's going to be double the length of the next longest podcast I've ever done, um, <laughs> which is it's pretty crazy and it's awesome at the same time. My second last question, Olav, is you obviously have such a scientific approach to training, a very specific approach to training, a evidence-based um, push-the-limits approach to training. Are old-school coaches in triathlon dead? For example, Brett Sutton, you know, the, the the late 90s, early 2000s coaches who don't necessarily have a sports science background um, in terms of formal education at least. And, and um, yeah, they're more old school in their approach. Hard work, but but the, the thought is more about the practicality of what they've been seeing happening um, and what they've seen happen over time rather than the really specific evidence-based scientific relentless approach that you have so then then i think for me then it's important to emphasize three things one i actually don't have a formal education in in sports science or physiology i was privately tutored by dr oya matsen in olympiatoppen secondly i think that scientifically uh, is for me it's more about process and systematically and it's something you can do without having a sports science background uh i think you can approach this yourself by by just being uh, genuinely interested in it and you are you you are building you're building because i remember formal education is just a, a structured way to to also try to learn you or me or whoever uh, bring them up to a to a certain level quicker than if they did it on their own but there are many people capable of doing this uh without any formal ed, formal ed, uh, formal education and then i think that I, of course i don't know very much again i don't spare very much, much time on 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 analyzing what other coaches or athletes are doing uh except understanding the race demand or how people just are racing but who they are is not uh, not important for me uh, so I think that one thing that, and again, also back a little bit earlier to the conversation where we talk about academic versus the practitioner, we very often see that the academic is maybe better to explain why or to figure out why, because that's the tools they have learned to use. Uh, but the practitioner or the coach that has no education, he is the one that have learned to understand or, or learn to put things into practice. And very often, academics or theory comes as a result of practice it's not the other way around that practice comes as a result of theory um uh, uh, so uh i think that i of course i don't know brett Sutton apple uh i i don't think i have i've said hello to him uh sometimes he, he was of course at some seven events and so on but i think that actually was the first time i said uh, the, where I, I I I met him in person, but what what I I heard or, or from the little I've seen uh, uh, from him, he seems like a very practical oriented coach. And it's like I said, also is that you really don't need very advanced tools if you have a stopwatch, and you have uh, uh, and you know the, uh, and you have some references. Uh, 
you are already there extremely. You can make the work there better than most of the physiologists that are, are, are using a lab and say, looking at just VO2 max or something like that. A practical coach will typically, and this is what I, I remember, uh, I, I read an article uh, sometime, I scrolled through and I found an article, it was with Brett, and I think it was he preparing Nicola Spirig for, uh, for Rio Olympics. And then the approach that he had had there was extremely practical oriented, but again, what he does, he take from the little experience I have then, and the little understanding I have then, or less an impression that I got from that article. Okay, what is the demand? What 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 is it really demand? What's what going to happen? So I think that there he again now uh, I might be 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 a little bit um, inaccurate in 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 my uh, my rephrase or 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 replication of the story. But I think that there he had looked at how what was it was very choppy water in Rio, and then he had approached it. But okay, then he thought that okay, this is what we need to do in the training. So again, he's employing he. Uh, a way of working which is very scientifically in the way that he looks at okay, what is the problem, how do we approach this. Of course, I know that he's using, I think that he's using a top stopwatch, he, he, have, he has references, or even just distances, you're doing maybe some standardized workouts, and already there, he is doing the work better than most coaches are doing in the world that are just prescribing a 16-week program, like, like you introduced. You have a 16-week program, you just do that. I don't think that he is working and working that way. He uses very little, at least from what I've read, it seems like he's using very little technology. And that, I think, is a disadvantage, can be a disadvantage. But again, you shouldn't use technology unless you have a good implementation strategy. And I think that that's exactly, he has a good implementation strategy because he looks at, okay, what, what is the demand? What should I do? And all these kind of things. And, and then he, he's pro probably creating some references and he looks at, okay, how is the athlete developing? So he's using these senses that he have to see actively what, do I need to change in these kind of things? What technology allows us to do is to understand, of course, even more detailed. But if we have a good implementation strategy, if you don't have a good implementation strategy, you're going to get lost in data. And that's even worse because then you're losing your attention to, to, to what is important. But if you have a good implementation strategy, you know what questions you are looking to answer. You're using the technology to answer these questions or to, to bring a bit better understanding to what you are doing there, then I think that, of course, technology has the capability to, to allow us to go even deeper into things and understand things on a deeper level, deeper level with, with, with higher precision that we, we won't be able to perceive with our, our, our sight. And because uh, most of the training, we won't even be present because well, when you're in a pool, you see what's happening over the, the surface, not as very good what's happening under the surface. And when you're out running, you, you're going to be on a track, the, which is the closest to you as a, uh, as a coach. But if you run out on, on, on the tarmac or in, in, on a path or something like this, then, then you don't see your athlete anymore. Biking, you don't see your athlete uh, as much. And that, that means that there's a lot of feedback that you don't get that you can potentially have by employing technology. So I definitely do, the closer we are getting to peak human performance or the closer we want to advance peak human performance and break through barriers and see how can we reach the next level, then I do think that uh, technology is uh, uh, something that will be, will be a necessary extension to the 
to a uh, uh, to a uh, to a smart coach in uh, uh, both today but also in the future. But again, not on the expense of where you are losing yourself in data because then you're better off with all the technologies. Like you see some extremely successful coaches like, for example, Brett Sutton uh, have been with the, all his athletes. Uh, he, he, look again how well he does, whether he's used technology or not, I can't really say, but, but it looks like from what he says uh, uh, or the little I've read that, that he, he doesn't use very much technology. But you have to you have to remember that technology labs, view to max testing, lactate, all these kind of things have been around for more than they've been around for several decades. While uh, to to all coaches, while still Brett have coached Olympic athletes uh, that have taken the podium uh, several times, decades after we had available all these fancy technologies and those kind, of, because he have an attention to details, understanding the problems, individualizing the training. But I think, uh, personally, I, 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 I think and believe that he could have been an even better coach if, of course, he, he, were, he had the, the time uh, to implement uh, technology. But again, it's about time. And of course, if it takes your attention away to the things that you really feel good in, and you, you then then it's always a priority. So yes, technology will make an impact. I think uh, in twenty in the Olympics in twenty twenty eight, if you don't manage technology, then then you will have a really hard time uh, making it to the podium. Uh, if you have two equal coaches, one using technology and one not using the technology, and 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 twenty thirty two, I think there is probably no way uh, to to get to the podium with, without having uh, a system around you where where you're really lever leveraging all the data to to, to individualize and 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 make both the coach and athlete uh, athlete smart. Maybe already in twenty twenty eight is it makes a difference already. It will make a bigger difference already in 2024 because we are advancing technology and an understanding of how to implement it. But 2028 is probably going to be the crossover where you can't, you won't, uh, quote unquote, uh, survive uh, in the sport anymore unless you really have a good implementation strategy uh, and good instruments to, to aid you in, in the understanding of how to um, individualize and, and leverage uh, your athletes. If you love this episode or the podcast in general, well, it's only here because of the support I get from some of the legends who listen to the show and have chosen to support it on Patreon. Signing up for my Patreon costs either $2 or $5 per week, and that money goes towards putting the time it takes into getting guests, recording episodes, and producing episodes. I put on average about 15 to 20 hours of work per week into the podcast. And so if you enjoy the show, want to be a part of the reason it can continue happening and uh, in a position to help the podcast become even better and, and bigger, then by signing up to Patreon, you are literally doing that. Once you sign up to Patreon, you get access to a weekly extra podcast I do called The Training Diaries, which is, is 90 minutes of triathlon training talk and heaps of laughs. It's sort of both a serious and lighthearted look at triathlon training in general. Your support also helps me get more big name guests on that you actually want to hear from and release additional weekly episodes instead of just the one every week because I can justify putting the time away from work and family and, and back into the podcast. So if you'd like to sign up and put your arm around me and, and the show, the link um, to click on to do so is in the description of this episode. And if you're one of the people who already does uh, support me on Patreon, then seriously, thank you so much. You're the reason everybody is listening today. 
And if you aren't yet, but you decide to, then seriously, thank you. And uh, my last question to, to wrap us up, old love. I, um, I remember at the start of the year, I, I absolutely loved uh, when, I think it was, correct me if I'm wrong, Olaf, but I'm pretty sure you did a, an, a, like an article or, a, or like a report with the New York Times. And it was, it was basically an article they'd done randomly about like, why are, why are Christian and Gustav so fast? And um, like, this was, I'd already been a fan of you. Like I, I'd, up until probably up until I'd really seen some stuff you'd done, like videos and stuff, I just saw you as this like crazy scientist behind the scenes, you know, um, doing all this testing and implementing all this technology and, and new things into triathlon. And, and so I really, uh, I was a big fan of you because you had that image in my mind. Um, and then I read this article in the New York times and I was just like, I just love this bloke after it because you said this quote that I, I still remember to this day where, um, you said that when Christian and Gustav uh, go and race long course triathlon or, or try and race the world championships, that that winning it will sort of be like taking candy from a baby. And I just thought that was so like funny. And the funniest part, Olaf, is it's it's ended up being true. It was you have one hundred percent came in and and treated Iron Man and and the other athletes like taking candy from a baby. You know, you've won two world championships undefeated across the board in, in every Ironman you've done. You have the, the Ironman best time ever. Uh, it's, it's been pretty crazy. And, and yeah, ultimately it, it was and has been like taking candy from a, from a baby for you, for you guys. My question is, do you stand by that statement? And, and ultimately now that it's all, it's all happened or it's all happening and, and you've got those two, the last two Ironman world championships, did it feel a little bit like it was taking candy from a baby? Absolutely. <laughs> no, joking. <laughs> um, okay, I should maybe hold it a little bit fun, a little bit longer, so it would be more funny. But um, uh, uh, I, I, I did actually, I did actually uh, nuance that a little bit more. I think it, it was in a podcast or something like this, where I said that, uh, of course, this is not only unique to Christian and Gustav, but the reason for why this was possible in 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 in, in long course triathlon might actually be uh, and that's the paradox or ironically that might actually come down to technology because if you look at basically how athletes and coaches in Ironman racing are working they are obsessing so much more over equipment and technology than what you will find in short course triathlon and that might have required the short course coaches and athletes to understand the demand, demand of the sport and how to balance this in a basic way first. And then as they understand it, they, they start to ask the question, how can we do this better? And there's where technology starts to come in a little bit more and more and so on. In Armen, it's maybe been a little bit different or different because people are obsessing over equipment and technology and all the kind of buying all the stuff that they can get a hold, but maybe without a poor or with, with a poor implementation strategy or poor understanding of really what it is. They start to obsess over physiology and view to max and all these kind of things rather than understanding really the demand. And this is, of course, something that I knew with all the technology we had been using and with a good implementation strategy, how close the racing is in the Olympic circuit and how how, 
how really smart the coaches and everybody is there. It's not that the coaches in Ironman racing is not smart. They are, absolutely. But I think, it's, again, it's easy to get lost in data. Now this is, of course, changing. This is changing and, 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 and is changing and people are trying to figure out how can they better implement this by, by, by practicing and these kind of things. But we knew that the level, if we talk about then peak human performance, and again, I, I don't know where peak human performance is, but we are maybe, we, we are closer to it in short course. Where, and that's why the level there is so much more equal that we really have to be smart and look at now how can we break through and make the next level also in Olympic racing. What do we get there before, before 2024? I don't know. But of course, that's what we believe. Uh, in Ironman, we, I knew that they were much further away from uh, peak human performance. And that was why I, I literally said there's a new era coming and also that this is, will be like taking candy from kids. Because in one year, it's very hard to bridge up a gap and really grasp the concepts of the changes or how how we did it. So th that allows it. But if that's, that's why I also said that if we go back next year, so they have another year to 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 to, to bridge that gap. It will be much tougher to 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 win the world championship because you're gonna see that the the the, the level in general in Ironman is coming up. And my my statement is that when you find peak human performance down you in in both Ironman and Olympic distance race, you can't take an Ironman you can't take an Olympic athlete to go to Ironman distance the way or Ironman anymore the way we did. Because it requires much more specialization, and that specialization takes longer time to really bring on all that adaptation into your body. Some adaptation goes quick, but other adaptation takes much longer time for it to happen in your body. And that means also the closer you get to peak human performance in a sport, the more of a specialist you have to be. You have to be a specialist on the distance uh, when you reach peak human performance in a sport to really do well there. So if you find a sport where you see athletes are able to win all kinds of distances, is for me, that is just an, uh, an example of that then, then, then there are still room for development in the sport. The more you basically see that the one athlete, one athlete is he, he, he only wins this distance, and then there's another athlete that wins a little bit longer distance, and then another athlete that wins the longest distance, then you know that this sport is so highly developed that now it re it requires a, a paradigm shift in that sport to, to bring it to the next level, uh, which we have seen, of course, several times before in, in, his, in history, but they don't come often. They don't come often, those paradigm shifts. Uh, and that is, of course, because you need that crazy coach or, or athlete or scientist that just tries to do something different that people think that this, this is madness, but then they bring it together and they show the note, this is possible, and then people come around again. So... The the reason for why we can bring uh, we we can come to the Olympic scene no to the Ironman scene and win like this is because we haven't seen peak human performance in Ironman yet, and not even Christian Gustav because we had like I said we had too short time to really specialize for that distance. So that's why we were still gonna see times falling, things will go faster. But eventually, when you see that you are not able to bring an Olympic distance triathlete to the Ironman scene anymore and maybe even to the level where the, the, the olympic distance athlete is not even close to the podium anymore then you know that you're getting closer to peak human performance in ironman racing again 
and, and this special athlete or this speciality athlete that are really dedicating all his effort to, to, to raise the best on this distance. He, because again, it's like I talk, we, we talked about how, where do you, where do you spend your budget, your calorie budget? And if you only train as a sprinter, obviously you're not going to be good at an Ironman because it's too far away from your demand. In the same way that if you're trained for an Ironman, it's going to be too way too far away from being any good sprinter, even though you train the same volume and all these kind of things. So again, it comes down nailing that balance and and that and that, and, that, and the specificity to be the best in the world, and that can only be done when you see that uh, there there are room. And that's why I said that, that, that it would be like taking candy from 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 kids well knowing that that is something that was possible to do a couple of times um but then as uh, people bridge this up it's going to be harder and tougher and tougher and i think we already saw now in in kona that things are getting closer um and i think that it's easier to make these changes for new athletes than it is for old athletes or meaning i think that for 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 the newcomers it's easier to implement changes because they are always looking to to become better while the ones that have had success they are they are more afraid of making the changes to the program uh, and and you you see you see very often that the changes are coming slower with them the new the the the, the, the ones that wins are often the ones that uh, when you have these kind of paradigm shifts are the ones that are challenge the, the challengers the ones that are willing to take a risk uh, and and they know that they just have to do better. Uh, they have to do things different than uh, than the ones that are established. So taking candy from kids, yes, uh, absolutely. Uh, but again, it's in the context I just explained. Uh, it's not going to be taking candy from kids uh, next year, and it's only a matter of time before we, before. Uh, um, the ones that are racing Ironman and dedicating their lives to that on the same level, uh, they are, they will be tough or impossible to beat unless you bring in the same level of specialization and, and dedication only to the Ironman racing. Oh, love. What a chat, mate. Uh, absolute privilege to have you on the show. Like I said in my introduction and, and like I've told you a few, few times, this was, um, this is it's it's hard for me from here because this was the episode that I had on on number one of my list that I made before I started the show, which was actually a year ago to the day. Um, you're actually the the episode that's coming out one year to the day from from when I released my first ever episode. And yeah, ironically, uh, the the little list I had written down of of sort of my dream guests, or like if I could if I could tick off a podcast that got all of these guests on. Yeah, that would that would be awesome. You were you were number number one on that list, mate. Um, so I'm I'm really not just um, blowing smoke up your ass when I say <laughs> that this is the most excited uh, I've ever been to have a conversation with someone on this podcast. And I had said that before, but I mean, it literally, if, if if that list still still holds true to me, which it it does when I read it, it's I'm never I'm never gonna you know be more hyped or excited to have a conversation than than this one we've just had and i guess it's why it went for almost four hours i'll love it's because you know this is this is a conversation that that means a lot to me and and i can't thank you enough for coming on and, and sharing so much wisdom and and being so detailed and thorough and open in, in in your answers and 
and for giving me so much bloody time, mate. We've been talking for, you know, about a month now and, and you've just been so generous with your time and, you know, we've chatted, we've jumped on Zoom and chatted off air um, two times now, you know, and getting to know you has been a real honour and a privilege and, you know, it, it makes starting a podcast like this this worthwhile when I get to learn and, and meet such a, a great person like yourself. So thank you, my friend. I, I hope everyone else got as much out of this as I did and, and enjoyed this as much as I did. Um, and yeah, I really can't thank you enough. Well, uh, that's mutual. I, I must say that uh, the hours have flown by, but I think the questions... Uh, you always meet journalists or, or reporters or, or or people asking questions that that uh, a, they really don't allow you to reflect or, or philosophize around the questions. And that is something I really enjoyed uh, with our conversation, too. I think uh, the questions you ask are are they they are so spot on uh, that it's, it's been really enjoyable um and they even uh, they even they even require me also to reflect as i speak around uh around the two because they are uh, yeah they are really good questions so thank you very much also for having me uh it's been it's been uh, wonderful speaking with you truly and make sure you uh thanks for that by the way i love and make sure you say you say hi to dan larang for me he's uh like i said he's he's been on the show but he only got a 90 minute episode not a four hour one so maybe you can give him a bit of shit about that <laughs> i hope it didn't was uh, i hope it wasn't four hours but uh... <laughs> i think it just about was <laughs> uh... All right. Well, thank you so much. I'm, uh, he just sent me a message. Actually, uh, he, he's walking. He's walking his dog. So, so, so uh, I'll jump on a call with him now. So, but I'll, 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 I'll tell him uh, you said hello. Awesome. Thanks, Olaf. Enjoy the rest of your day, my friend. Thank you so much. As I talked about at the start of the episode, don't forget to head over to PillarPerformance.shop and finally try some of their products for yourself, because it's their Black Friday sale starting today. All orders over $60 get a free triple magnesium powder and all orders over $80 get free shipping on top of that. I personally take their vitamin C plus zinc, their elite calcium and the triple magnesium powder. I take them all 30 minutes before bed as my nightly routine every night and I've never slept better and ultimately trained better in the morning and ultimately never felt better during the day as well. Um, it's, it's literally the whole reason I'm such a big supporter and advocate of Pillar Performance because of how much they've helped me. It's it's not even because they jumped on and supported the show. Um, I was spruiking them before that, you know, like I said in the intro. Um, I, I was a customer who bought their products and still do buy their products for myself. Um, right now, I just use the same discount code as all of you. So, yeah, they, they've really helped my sleep and, and my training and my quality of life. So, I can't, I can't recommend highly enough that, that you try it for yourself. Um, you'll thank me in their Black Friday sale starting today um, that gets you a free triple magnesium powder for all orders over $60 and free shipping on all order, orders over $80. Couldn't be a better time to try it.